0: Good afternoon, my name is Krista and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the CloudFlare quarter 2023 Earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during that time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star one. Thank you. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Phil Winslow, vice president of strategic finance, treasury and investor relations. You may begin, sir.
1: Thank you for joining us today to discuss Cloudflare's financial results for the third quarter of 2023. With me on the call, we have Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO Michelle Zatlin, co-founder, president, and COO, and Thomas Seifert, CFO. By now, everyone should have access to our earnings announcement. This announcement, as well as our supplemental financial information, may be found on our investor relations website. As a reminder, we will be making forward-looking statements during today's discussion, including, but not limited to, our customers, vendors, partners, operations, and future financial performance, our anticipated product launches, and the timing and market potential of those products and our anticipated future financial and operating performance, and our expectations regarding future macroeconomic conditions. These statements and other comments are not guarantees of future performance and are subject to risks and uncertainty, much of which is beyond our control. Our actual results may differ significantly from those projected or suggested in any of our forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements apply as of today, and you should not rely on them as representing our views in the future. We undertake no obligation to update these statements after this call. For a more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties that could impact our future operating results and financial condition, please see our filings with the SEC as well as in today's earnings press release. Unless otherwise noted, all numbers we talk about today, other than revenue, will be on an adjusted non-GAAP basis you may find a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures that are included in our earnings release on our Investor Relations website. For historical periods, a GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation can be found in the supplemental financial information referenced a few months ago. We would also like to inform you that we will be participating in the RBC Capital Markets Global TIMT Conference on November 14th and the Wells Fargo TNT Summit on November
2: 28th. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Matthew. Thank you, Phil. We had another strong quarter in spite of an increasingly uncertain world. In Q3, we achieved revenue of $335.6 million, up 32% year over year. We added 206 new large customers, those that pay us more than $100,000 per year, and now have 2,558 large customers, up 34% year over year. Looking at even larger customers, we added a record number of net new customers year over year, spending more than both $500,000 and $1 million per year with Cloudflare. Our dollar-based net retention ticked up 1% to 116%. We see this as a lagging indicator and expect that it will take some time for the go-to-market improvements we're seeing across our team to be fully reflected. During the quarter, we continued to refine these go-to-market strategies. Our pipeline close rates held steady, our salesforce productivity remained constant, and linearity was similar to Q2. I think that we have been able to hold things steady while making significant organizational changes and improvements across our sales and marketing organization is very encouraging. Beyond that, we're beginning to see positive early signs from the sales team members we've brought on over the six months to replace underperformers. During the quarter, the pipeline generated by this new cohort was 1.6 times higher than those brought on at the same time a year earlier. These new account executives achieved more than 130% of their activity goals for the quarter. That's great news, and we're thrilled to have them on board. And while they're still ramping, I'm encouraged by the performance and that we've been able to revamp as much of our sales team as we have without significant disruption. Our gross margin was 78.7%, still well above our target range of 75 to 77%, and up from 77.7% last quarter. We delivered an operating profit of $42.5 million, our fifth consecutive record quarter for the company. This represents an operating margin of 12.7%. Operating profit increased nearly three times year over year, underscoring our commitment to operating efficiency and productivity. We continue to generate positive free cash flow. In Q3, we generated $34.9 million during the quarter, representing a free cash flow margin of 10.4%. This is a business that can generate significant cash, and in 2023, we expect we will generate more than $100 million in free cash flow well ahead of our original goal when we started the year and the direct result of improved execution across our entire business. In Q3, we celebrated our 13th anniversary of CloudFlare's launch, a time we call birthday week. We officially entered our teenage years, and like many kids, it took us a while to fully understand and articulate the category we belong to. The day before our 13th birthday, we announced to the world that we would realized what we are, a connectivity cloud. Connectivity means we measure ourselves by connecting people and things together. Cloud means the batteries are included. It scales with you. It's programmable, has consistent security built in. It's intelligent and learns from your usage and others to optimize for outcomes better than you could on your own. Our connectivity cloud is worth contrasting against some of the other first-generation clouds. The hyperscale public clouds are in many ways the opposite. They optimize for hoarding your data, locking it in, making it difficult to move. They are captivity clouds. While they may be great for some things, their full potential is only truly unlocked for customers when combined with a connectivity cloud that lets you mix and match the best of each of their features. That's what we hear from customers, that they are multi-cloud whether they want to be or not. And that's what they really need is a connectivity cloud to hook all their systems together in a fast, secure, reliable way. The messaging of the connectivity cloud is resonating with customers and helping them understand the full extent of what Cloudflare is able to deliver for them. We are not any one of our individual features or even a sum of them. We are a cloud that helps you get the most out of connectivity and customers love that and are leaning into it. Speaking of customers, we've had some great customer wins in the quarter I'd like to highlight a US government cabinet level agency within the executive branch, signed a one year, $2 million contract. Cloudflare is replacing three point solution vendors, including a 20 year old incumbent solution. We're providing a unified application security for 600 US government applications. They were drawn to Cloudflare's modern architecture, rate of innovation, robust network, and ability to reduce complexity by consolidating multiple point solutions into a single pane of glass. Another U.S. government agency signed a one-year, $510,000 contract for Cloudflare Zero Trust solutions, including access, gateway, browser isolation, and data loss prevention. We were selected over first-generation Zero Trust competitors due to our ability to consolidate numerous products across both application security and Zero Trust onto a single platform. Our federal business has grown significantly over the last year, and we believe these deals are just at the tip of the iceberg with both of these customers, which we expect can expand significantly. A leading healthcare company signed a three-year, $1 million contract for Cloudflare Zero Trust solutions, including access, gateway, browser isolation, and area one email security. They are a legacy vendor looking to modernize their security posture as they migrate on-prem applications to the cloud. They experienced a sophisticated email phishing attack mid process and with area one, we were able to immediately protect them. They chose us over first generation zero trust solutions because of the comprehensiveness of our solution, including email security. The VP of technology said succinctly, we should have partnered with Cloudflare earlier. A major European consulting company signed a three year, $1.6 million contract for access and gateway, along with magic WAN and our data localization suite. They selected Cloudflare over first-generation zero-trust competitors because of the breadth of our platform. The theme across these examples is customers are looking for a zero-trust solution, increasingly wanting to protect their entire network. Cloudflare is the only vendor that can deliver a comprehensive network-wide solution from a single vendor. Switching gears a bit, a Fortune 500 semiconductor company expanded their relationship with Cloudflare, signing a three-year, $1.4 million contract. The customer was looking to modernize their network security posture. They adopted our Magic Transit product. They were able to consolidate multiple point solutions onto Cloudflare's unified platform. An African public utility company expanded their relationship with Cloudflare signing a four year, $3 million contract. This company first approached Cloudflare last year facing multiple under attack situations. We onboarded the customer with application security and Magic Transit, stopping the attacks they were seeing. The customer was so impressed with Cloudflare's products and performance that they quadrupled their utilization and added additional products, including Magic Firewall. The fact that Cloudflare's network spans the globe gives us the ability to service clients everywhere. Another international technology company signed a two-year, $1.8 million contract for Magic Transit and advanced application security. This customer approached us in the midst of a large-scale DDoS attack, their incumbent solutions were provided by a mix of point solutions and bundled hyperscale cloud mitigation services. Neither was sufficient to stay ahead of the attack. In Q3, we saw a significant increase in massive DDoS attacks. To give you a sense, these new attacks are generating nearly as much traffic as the entire Internet generates globally, but pointing it to a single victim. There are very few networks that can stand up to these attacks. I'm proud of the fact that Cloudflare is architected uniquely for this moment. And as the world becomes more complicated and these attacks become more common, I think more and more of the internet will turn to us for protection. A leading ad tech company expanded their relationship with Cloudflare, signing a one-year $720,000 contract. This customer came to us with a technical worker's use case. They needed a platform that could help them deliver through traffic spikes up to 3 million requests per second. Their existing solutions on traditional hyperscale public clouds were expensive to maintain and would encounter errors with even relatively low traffic spikes. Cloudflare workers was able to support their needs without breaking a sweat. With this win, we expect they will move more of their application to our much easier-to-scale platform. A Fortune 500 technology company expanded their relationship with Cloudflare, signing a one-year, $2.9 million contract. This customer approached us to use our Connectivity cloud to help them collect AI and machine learning data from their customers while maintaining the highest level of privacy. They view Cloudflare as a leader in privacy, and we work closely with them to develop the solution. This deal makes clear the importance of privacy and the likely regulatory scrutiny of AI tasks and highlights how Cloudflare's network, which extends into the vast majority of countries on Earth, can help customers take advantage of AI while complying with an increasingly complex regulatory environment. We continue to accelerate our efforts in AI. We believe Cloudflare is the most common cloud provider used by the leading AI companies. During our birthday celebrations in Q3, we made several announcements with companies like NVIDIA, Microsoft, Meta, Hugging Face, and Databricks. We also announced Worker's AI to put powerful AI inference within milliseconds of every Internet user. We believe inference is the biggest opportunity in AI, and inference tasks will largely be run on end devices and connectivity clouds like Cloudflare. Right now, there are members of the Cloudflare team traveling the world with suitcases full of GPUs, installing them throughout our network. We have inference-optimized GPUs running in 75 cities worldwide as of the end of October. And we are well on our way of hitting a goal of 100 by the end of 2023. By the end of 2024, we expect to have inference-optimized GPUs running in nearly every location where Cloudflare operates worldwide, making us easily the most widely distributed cloud AI inference platform. We've been planning for this for the last six years, expecting that at some point, we'd hit the crossover where deploying inference-optimized GPUs made sense. To that end, starting six years ago, we intentionally left one or more PCI slots in every server we built empty. When the demand and the technology made sense, we started deploying. That means we can use our existing server infrastructure and just add GPU cards, allowing us to add this capability while still staying within our forecast CAPEX envelope and customers are excited. In the five weeks since our AI announcements, thousands of developers have leveraged our new AI capabilities to build full stack AI applications on Cloudflare's network, processing more than 18 million requests through the new features we launched just over a month ago. The demand has exceeded our expectations and continue to accelerate, increasing 5X since mid-October. We have a pipeline of customers interested in putting hundreds of billions of inference tasks on our infrastructure each month. It's early days, but the interest we're seeing from customers, large and small, over what they can build with powerful inference capabilities now embedded in one of the world's largest networks is inspiring. They like how easy it is to use workers' AI. They like how it's powerful but close to their users around the world. They like the more efficient and fair pricing model our serverless implementation delivers, and they like the flexibility of bringing their own models or fine tuning existing models using the tools that are included as part of workers AI. If we're right that inference is the big AI opportunity and that inference tasks that are too big and too complex to run on end devices will need to run as close to the user as possible, then we've got a head start on building the preferred location for inference for the most interesting AI applications of the future. Finally, before I turn it over to Thomas, I wanted to acknowledge that we continue to live in very challenging times. The war in Ukraine continues unabated. Now we have a new war in the Middle East after the attack by Hamas on Israel. We have colleagues in the region who have been impacted directly and indirectly. Our thoughts are with them. And while we see the devastating images of the kinetic war, the online war is also raging. Cloudflare is committed to providing our services to humanitarian and civil society organizations at no cost to ensure they can continue doing their important work for all those impacted by the increasingly hostile world we find ourselves in. In our business, we need to stay on top of cybersecurity issues globally and modern warfare continues to include the cyber battlefield. As I look back on the quarter, I'd like to thank our entire team at Cloudflare for all your hard work, innovation, dedication to supporting our customers and the greater internet. Thank you for continuing to help build a better internet for us all. And with that, I'll hand it off to Thomas. Thomas, take it away.
3: Thank you, Matthew. And thank you to everyone for joining us. During the third quarter, as we continue to refine our go-to-market strategies and operations, our pipeline growth rates have held steady, our productivity remained consistent, and linearity was similar to last quarter. We're pleased to see significant growth with channel partners, momentum with large customers, and strengths in the public sector. Importantly, we continue to maintain our strong commitment to being fiscally responsible and act as good stewards of investors' capital. We delivered our fifth consecutive quarter of record operating profit, increasing nearly threefold year over year and significantly outperformed on free cash flow. Turning to revenue, total revenue for the third quarter increased 32% year-over-year to $335.6 million. From a geographic perspective, the U.S. represented 52% of revenue and increased 30% year-over-year. EMEA represented 28% of revenue and increased 36% year-over-year. APAC represented 13% of revenue and increased 27% year-over-year. Turning to our customer metrics, in the third quarter, we had 182,027 paying customers representing an increase of 17% year-over-year. We ended the quarter with 2,558 large customers representing an increase of 34% year-over-year in addition of 206 large customers in the quarter. In fact, we added a record number of net new customers year over year spending more than $500,000 and $1 million on an annualized basis with Cloudflare. Our dollar-based net retention rate was 116% during the third quarter, representing an increase of 100 basis points sequentially. Also, there can be some variability in this metric quarter to quarter. We continue to believe the recent decelerating trend in DNR is stabilizing near these levels. Moving to cross margin, their quarter cross margin was 78.7%, representing an increase of 100 basis points sequentially and an increase of 60 basis points year-over-year. Network capex represented 8% of revenue in the third quarter as we continue to benefit from our focus on driving greater efficiency from our infrastructure and the uniqueness of our platform to onboard new workloads. Despite having begun to invest in the enormous AI opportunity in front of us with the planned rollout of GPUs to more than 100 cities by the end of this year, we expect network capex to be 8% to 10% of revenue in fiscal 2023. However, we anticipate network capex to return to more normalized levels over time. Turning to operating expenses. Third quarter operating expenses as a percentage of revenue decreased by 5% sequentially and decreased by 6% year over year to 66%. Our total number of employees increased 11% year over year bringing our total headcount to 3,529 at the end of the quarter. We were selective in hiring during the quarter as we continue to evaluate deploying AI and automation at scale to re-engineer our business processes across the company. Early investments in these areas are already delivering encouraging returns. We will remain prudent in hiring as we continue to invest in broadening and deepening the usage of AI and automation across our operations to drive higher productivity and greater efficiency. Sales and marketing expenses were $129 million for the quarter. Sales and marketing is a percentage of revenue decreased by 3% sequentially and decreased to 38% from 41% in the same quarter last year. Research and development expenses were $54.2 million in the quarter. R&D is a percentage of revenue decreased by 1% sequentially and decreased to 16% from 18% in the same quarter last year. General and administrative expenses were $38.5 million for the quarter. G&A percentage of revenue decreased by 2% sequentially and decreased to 11% from 13% in the same quarter last year. Operating income was $42.5 million compared to $14.8 million in the same period last year. Third quarter operating margin was 12.7%, an increase of 690 basis points year over year. These results highlight our ongoing focus on becoming more productive and doing more with less, given that operational excellence is a long-term competitive advantage. Turning to net income in the balance sheet, our net income in the quarter was $55.3 million or a diluted net income per share of 16 cents. We ended the third quarter with $1.6 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and available for sale securities. Free cash flow was $34.9 million in the third quarter or 10% of revenue compared to negative $4.6 million or 2% of revenue in the same period last year. Remaining performance obligations or RPO came in at $1.1 billion, representing an increase of 5% sequentially and 30% year-over-year. Current RPO was 75% of total RPO. Moving the guidance for the fourth quarter in the full year. With broadening geopolitical uncertainty and increasingly mixed macroeconomic data points across geographies, the business environment in which you operate remains challenging to predict. And as a result, we continue to remain prudent and cautious in our outlook for the fourth quarter. Now turning to guidance for the fourth quarter, we expect revenue in the range of 352 to $353 million, representing an increase of 28 to 29% year over year. We expect operating income in the range of 28 to $29 million, and we expect an effective tax rate of 7%. We expect diluted net income per share of 12 cents, assuming approximately 354 million shares outstanding. Please note that our share count guidance now includes dilution from our convertible senior notes of approximately 6.8 million shares, given that Cloudflare has achieved a level of profitability whereby these securities are no longer deemed anti-diluted. For the full year 2023, we expect revenue in the range of $1.286 billion to $1.287 billion, representing an increase of 32% year over year. We expect operating income for the full year in the range of $110 to $111 million. And we expect diluted net income per share over that period to be 45 to 46 cents, assuming approximately 350 million shares outstanding. We expect an effective tax rate of 8% for 2023. After having achieved significant free cash flow in the first three quarters of the year, we expect to generate over $100 million in free cash flow for the full year 2023. In closing, our team remains committed to driving operational excellence, ensuring long-term growth, and delivering significant shareholder value. I'd like to thank our employees for their dedication to our mission, as well as our customers for trusting us to help them solve some of the hardest problems that they face when modernizing and transforming their businesses. And with that, I'd like to open it up for questions. Operator, please pull for questions.
0: Thank you. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad, and please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Your first question comes from the line of Matt Hedberg from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
4: Great, uh, thanks for taking my questions, guys. Congrats on the results, uh, Matthew. For you, uh, a lot of exciting news uh, at Birthday Week, um, including Workers AI and everything else that you guys announced. I guess broadly speaking, given you know the focus on and all the investments this year and next year, you know how, how should we expect? to see some of the monetization benefits of generative AI customer spend? Is that, is that something that you know, you'd be able to quantify at some point or, or what are some of the breadcrumbs that we should watch for success there?
2: Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I think that there are a couple of different areas where we're monetizing uh, and and that's, that's starting to, to uh, show up in, in the results. And, and then there are a couple of areas where I think there's uh, a, a longer time horizon and we're really optimizing for adoption. I think the place where we've been positively surprised is uh, with our R2 product. R2 is our object store, uh, and critically, it allows customers to be multi-cloud and to easily move data uh, to wherever there are the resources that they need without charging them an egress tax like uh, like some of the other uh, traditional hyperscale public clouds uh, do that's the place where a lot of the growth that we're seeing uh, is coming from AI companies. They love the fact that they can take their data and their training sets and move it to wherever there are GPUs uh, that are available around the world. And that's that's driving, and I think as, as we see uh, more and more usage of that, that's driving revenue uh, for us that, that we're realizing today, and I think that will be something that will uh, will go forward into, into uh, the quarters to come. Um, I think that uh, some of the areas around inference, um, it's early days. But uh, I think that you, uh, I think I'm, that you'd be likely to hear us start talking about larger customers that are moving uh, significant workloads over to the AI space. Um, I, I think that the individual developers will be, um, we're really going to optimize in that space for adoption and building out an ecosystem. But as you hear us on, on earnings calls to come. Talk about how um, people have have really moved uh, workloads, and, and we've got um, customers in the in the pipeline that are talking about moving, you know, billions of inference events per month uh, to our network. That's when that starts to turn into uh, real revenue for us. And and I think it's early days, so we don't know exactly what the time frame on that will be. But the conversations we're having are um, are very exciting, and it's a space that uh, that that i I'm, I'm definitely bullish on. Super, super exciting. And then maybe, Thomas, for you, um, you know, we
4: still have Q4 to, to close out here, and you, you didn't really talk about next year. But given some of the uncertainty out there, you guys are still delivering good results. Are there any building blocks that you'd share as we start to think about or fine-tune our, our counter 24, either growth or profitability estimates? Um
3: well, we, we, we won't talk too much about uh, 24 on, on this earnings call. As you might expect, uh, there will be time for that on our next earnings call. But I think it's important in mind uh, to to keep in mind that we've been talking about how cascading the impacts are in terms of the progress we make and when it hits our books, right? It's all about building pipeline first, and we, we have seen strength there uh, in the third quarter, continued in the fourth quarter how this turns into ACB is, is, is where uncertainty is. And once it hits A it'll take, um, you know, a, a turn of, of four quarters before it shows up into revenue. So we're making good progress, um, especially at the beginning of this cascade. Um, and, um, you know, as we move through that, that waterfall of, of progress, you'll see results showing up in, in
1: our numbers in, in, in next year. Thank you very much.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Brent Thiel. Um, please go ahead.
2: Matthew, you've uh, highlighted sales efficiency as one of the top uh, goals for this year. Uh, I think Thomas mentioned uh, it was it was staying consistent, or maybe you had mentioned this, and linearity was was pretty steady. I guess you mentioned some of the sales improvements, but kind of where do you where do you stand in terms of your your overall game plan on the on the go to market how, how far are you through this this process in you know kind of what what's left is there an easy way to 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 frame this uh this move yeah so we we've talked about how uh on previous calls um we really looked across our go to market functions and and recognized that uh there was there was an opportunity for us to improve, and what I'm proud of is that we haven't waffled on that on that path. We haven't we haven't changed course. Um, we we haven't had significant uh, uh, disruption or distraction as we've as we've gone through that. And I think that the caliber and quality of the people that we're bringing on to those go-to-market teams, um, the early indications are, and again they're they're still ramping, but the early indications are that that they're doing a a significantly a stronger job and they're delivering um, real results so that's a process and and it takes it takes time to to work through that, but I think that we're seeing positive indication uh, I think we're being we don't want to lose our mar- marbles and 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 uh, and be too aggressive but we're we're being very uh, disciplined and one of the things I, I remember you know we've we've always talked about is how we've had a business where we invest behind the demand uh, that we see. And I think the same thing is true in the go-to-market side, where we're seeing that the increased rigor and increased discipline has early signs of paying off. And if, if that continues and we get more data points along the way, then that's a place where we'll be able to invest uh, with, again, new leadership in, in place uh, and and, uh, and 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 new training an enablement for for our sales team, and uh, and again, I I'm, I'm I have I think we have it's early still, but I think that we have good indication, and I'm proud of the fact that we did this um, so far without significant disruption uh, or distraction within our business.
0: Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Joel Fishbein from Truist Securities. Please go ahead.
4: Thanks for taking my question. Uh, Thomas, one for you. It's a good segue from the last question. Um, Clearly outperforming on the gross margin and on the operating margin side um, and, frankly, cash flow. Um, Just how are you going to continue to balance uh, profitability and investment in some of these high growth areas that Matthew outlined? Um, Just uh, love some color there. Thanks.
3: Yeah, just following up on what Matthew said. I think we have the business really well instrumented. Um, you could see this now managing ourselves uh, through quite some macroeconomic turbulences. Uh, so the business is well instrumented. The business model is built in a way that it allows us to, to have visibility when demand picks up and in, in the, we will invest behind the demand. Uh, we've also realized you know, that, that there's significant um, um, scalability and efficiency in the business model. This is what you are, what has been showing up uh, in their financial numbers over the last uh, couple of quarters really well. So I think the combination of visibility into is the business picking up or not, uh, a well-instrumented business, uh, and a lot of elasticity in, in how we move forward keeps us uh, confident that we, you know, that we have their, their hands firm on the rudder and uh, and can control their, their ramp up um, uh, really well.
5: Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Nowinski from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead.
2: Great, thank you. Uh, Congrats on a uh, another amazing quarter, Uh, and please accept my uh, thoughts and prayers for your employees that are affected by the terrorist attack in Israel. Um, So, I I wanted to ask you guys about. the workers AI offering that you launched. I think it's really interesting. I was wondering what the early feedback is on it, you know, in particular the vector database component, and, and whether the uh, staggered rollout of the GPUs is a potential gating factor as people kind of wait maybe to deploy that uh, at scale bef- or, or wait for the rollout of a, of the NVIDIA GPUs before, you know, rolling it out at scale. Yeah, Andy, thanks Thanks for the question. Again, it's an area that we're, we're extremely excited about. Um, I, I'm part of the fact that our team has been able to uh, get it rolled out as quickly as they have. Um, our, We thought it was an ambitious goal uh, to be in 100 cities by the end of the year. The fact that we're in uh, now over 75 uh, today and, and that we've been able to deliver that while st- staying very disciplined around CapEx is, is important. We're not seeing that people are waiting uh, for things to be to be everywhere uh, for them to be in and testing. I do think that as we are going into various geographies around the world, it creates a real differentiation uh, with us. We're hearing especially in markets outside of the United States how they have felt left behind uh, in the in the AI space and and increasingly I think as you're seeing with the executive order on AI with some of the European regulation on AI. Being able to keep AI local is, uh, we think, going to be something that's a real a real differentiation uh, for us. The vector database, I think that that's actually a good question um, to to ask about, uh, and, and sort of got lost in in some of the other other stories. But I think some of the more um, sort of people who are paying attention uh, within the AI space recognize how how important that is. Being able to fine tune uh, your models and have a database that's built on top of the existing R2 infrastructure uh, that we have uh, is 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 something that um, not only allows us to do inference but actually allows us to do t- uh, fine tuning as well, which gives us sort of uh, two of the three major uh, legs of the of the AI stool. And um, and I, I, that's that's sort of my my sneaky. Uh, feature that I think is going to um, be pretty disruptive, because you can use our vector database, uh, whether you're using the rest of Cloudflare's um, AI systems, becomes a really great uh, function for um, uh, AI users who are wanting to do fine-tuning, and that combined with the locality that we can deliver uh, with the worker's AI system and inference uh, scattered around the entire world. Um, allows us to do something that that is is truly a complete AI ecosystem, uh, and and the the again the AI developers that are paying attention um, ask the same question, which is uh, is wow how did you how did you guys uh, add a add a vector database? And the good news is again all of these things are built on a lot of the primitives that we had before. We didn't have to go out and build something new. We could put GPUs in our existing servers. We could build vectorize the vector database on top of. R two and some of the other primitives that we had out there, and, uh, and and we could learn from the huge number of AI startups that are already using Cloudflare in terms of what tools they needed in their toolkit, and, and that's what our team is delivering. That's great. Thanks, Matt. Keep up the good, Matthew. Keep up the good work.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Hamza Foderwalla from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead
2: hey good evening thank you for taking my question um and congrats on a solid result in a in what's been a pretty tough environment um matthew just
3: um you, know, you talked a lot about the the ai inference opportunity and a lot of great color there could you just maybe level set and and remind us of all the different sort of vectors for potential monetization over time you, know, you talked about r2 um you know,
4: potentially the the vector database angle as well but any others that we should consider, and then um, maybe a follow-up for, for Thomas. Um, I believe a lot of this is, you know, sort of priced on a more consumption basis. So, as the demand starts to ramp, should we start to
2: see that more in a real-time fashion as it relates to your revenue? Thank you. Yeah, so I'll start, and then uh, and then Thomas can can add add to it. Um, I think there are there are three different um, areas in which um, we can see. Uh, growth and, and delivery from, from AI. The, the one where, um, we, we, have seen it now, um, for at least the last 18 months, uh, is, is just in our traditional products. Um, using, uh, Cloudflare's, uh, security services to protect AI systems is, is absolutely critical. And as you go to, uh, some of the, the leading, uh, AI platforms that are out there, you'll often see Cloudflare's logo. Uh, where we're using AI systems ourselves actually to check to make sure you're a human being, check to make sure that you're not uh, a threat, um, before, before letting you on. So that's, that I think is, is just our bread and butter and, and what we can deliver, um, you know, very efficiently. The second area is, is with things like R2 and charging for storage. And again, that's going to be, um, storing the models, uh, storing the training sets, uh, for those models, uh, using the fine tuning data. Uh, with r two and vectorized to be able to process uh, those models, and again that's that's going to be much more like a as you said a consumption based uh, approach and then the third way is that we're charging for inference and what I think is unique about us is because at core clepler is incredibly good as a routing and scheduling engine, and that's how we're able to deliver uh, the the you know the very high gross margins. Uh, that we have compared with um, some some others in the in the space uh, is that we just get a much higher degree of utilization, and we pass that on to our customers. And in this case, the way that we're charging for our GPUs uh, is termed by the industry as a serverless uh, method of of charging. And what that means is we only charge you for when you're actually running an inference task, and then we're able to schedule that very effectively across our entire platform. And, and we think that that's um, That's going to uh, uh, be um, a very uh, as disruptive in this space as as some of the things that we've done with workers have been uh, in in the traditional uh, um, space, and 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 that that's that's something that is very attractive uh, to AI developers. So I think those are the three ways that we see as modernization around this. One is our just traditional security products. Second is uh, around storage uh, of either training sets or models themselves, or or the refining uh, and fine-tuning model uh, systems, or then the third is actually charging for what is effectively the, the compute capacity and doing that in a way that is, again, very disruptive uh, compared with uh, some of the other um, uh, providers that are in the space. And we can we can often um, decrease people's inference task costs um, pretty substantially while that still being a very high-margin business um, for us. So, uh, works that
3: come back to your second question, so today um, the share of variable revenue and uh, of our overall revenue is very, very low. But uh, the ramp of um, the AI uh, service and products that Matthew just mentioned would increase this share. Um, we've seen some of the strengths actually in the in the third quarter from a revenue perspective already coming from variable revenue. So this is one data point. It's it's not enough to make a good correlation or a trend. But with a higher share um, of variable, uh, with products and services that are price variable, you would see a more immediate impact on revenue for sure. Uh, But we don't have enough data yet to to see how this, this will play out, but the first signs are encouraging.
1: Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of James Fish from Piper Sandler. Please go ahead.
1: Hey guys, thanks for the question. Um, you guys have talked a lot about AI here, but you know where are we with getting more shots on goal with more of the Wave 2 products and, and network security, in particular?ly uh, Additionally, uh, Thomas, more for you. Well, net new customers were good. The dollars added just were a little bit lower than what we've seen in, in past few custom or past few quarters. Um, is that just being a reduction in contract durations, given the macro, or what other
2: aspects are impacting this? And, and I'm sorry if I missed this. Did you give an RPO number this quarter? Yeah, Jim. So I'll take the first bit and then hand it off to to Thomas um, for for the second bit. I think we're seeing real strength around um, the network security uh, and and our zero trust products. Um, we've been recognized as leaders in in those spaces by by a number of the key analysts. That's that's driven up the amount of interest. The pipeline for those products is extremely strong. And what we're seeing is that increasingly customers want, uh especially in, in the sort of making every IT dollar go further, increasingly they want to say, I don't just want to protect, you know, the, the back door of my business. I want to protect the front door, the back door, the side door, and all of the doors in the business. And so we're the one vendor that is able to give people that vendor consolidation, uh, that single pane of glass, and I think that that comes through, in a lot of the customer uh, examples and stories uh, that that we've seen. And so um, what we're seeing more and more is people want to buy the entire Cloudflare platform. They want to protect their entire business uh, with that, and that's driving more interest in both our network security as well as our uh, zero-trust products. RPO for the
3: the third quarter was um, $1 billion and $83 I think it was part of my script. Um, Expansion is is getting better. DNR uh, ticked up uh, one percentage points, uh, so it's stabilizing. I think that is what we have been talking about in the previous uh, earnings call that we see bottoming out. But I I would still say that it is easier to have new logo acquisition than it is to expand with existing customers. Uh, And the trend we have seen that this might be impacted timing-wise or budget-wise by current macro concerns I think still holds true. It has not changed materially uh, from the third quarter, uh, from the second quarter.
1: Awesome. Thanks,
5: guys.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Srinrik Kharthari from Baird. Please go ahead.
5: Yeah, thanks uh, for taking my question. Uh, Congrats uh, on the solid execution. Uh, I'd just like to switch gears a little bit to to DDoS. so Matthew, I mean, of course, Cloudflare's uh, unique approach to to DDoS pricing definitely differs from from the competition. And instead of tying the price to the size of the, of the attack, uh, you've opted for kind of a more customer-centric approach. So just curious, in in, in today's elevated DDoS uh, landscape, are you seeing this this flexibility kind of appreciated by customers and and not being charged based on the scale of the attack? Is, is it becoming a, a key driver for kind of stronger shared gains? And, and then I have a quick follow-up for, for Thomas. Yeah,
2: so so first of all, I mean, the, the world is getting a lot more complicated, and we're seeing um, even nation-state actors uh, turning to DDoS attacks to disrupt um, the services around the world. And, and the, uh, a new attack vector, which our team, um, alongside Google and AWS, uh, help discover and, and announce this last quarter, um, is generating attacks that are, uh, I mean, it, it, literally almost doubling the total volume of traffic on, on the entire internet, uh, when, when they're, when they're going, going forward. And the, the nature of how we're able to stop those attacks and the architecture of how we're able to stop those attacks is very unique, uh, to Cloudflare. And we're seeing, even some of the large hyperscale public clouds that have their own uh, limited DDoS mitigation services point customers to us because we're the best in the world at, at this. And I think that that's, um, that's a real differentiator for us. The pricing also is important, and what's unique is because every single server that is part of, of Cloudflare's network can run every single service, as we stop these massive attacks, Not only are we, um, again, better able to to technically uh, stop them, but we are then um, able to do it without it changing our underlying pricing, because it doesn't drive up what our costs are. Early on, we said that we should pass that advantage on to our customers. And so we created pricing that was, um, as you said, very customer-centric, that's appreciated uh, by the market. I think more and more people are leaning in on uh, on DDoS uh, and using us for that. And what we're seeing is that then we can use that as sort of the milk in the grocery store where we can sell other products uh, across our suite. And, and just like I said before, customers don't just want to protect the front door. They don't just want to protect the back door. They want to protect all of the parts of our business. And so we're seeing that having um, collective solutions from a platform that can solve DDoS, Zero Trust, WAF, um, rate-limiting, bot management, access control, and have that all behind one single pane of glass is a very, very, very compelling offering. Uh, Or somewhat snarkily, if you look at some of the other Zero Trust vendors uh, that are out there, they're actually Cloudflare customers using our DDoS mitigation products because we're the best
5: in the world at them. Great. Uh, just, just uh, very super helpful. Uh, just quick follow up on, on what you said on, around zero trust. I mean, I, I agree your, your margin really allows you to kind of disrupt the market, kind of, uh, enabling you to use pricing as a competitive advantage. And, and of course you discussed the DDoS pricing and on, on zero trust, uh, like when, when you're bundling around, around SASE and zero trust, just curious, like it, it still seems like you guys are, uh, pricing kind of similarly uniquely versus the market more attractively. Just curious, uh, are, are you thinking about kind of also going for like premium optimal pricing uh, given where the market is, given the, the strength of the demand, uh, and, and also try to push forward on the margins front? Is that a lever that you guys are thinking through?
2: You know, I think that we can use price. Uh, there as a, as a weapon to win business, we, we have tended not to see that there's a lot of price sensitivity uh, uh, there, and so we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna just push that uh, if we don't have to. I think that the place that is more attractive is actually in in how we create platforms where you can have a complete network security solution, um, and and it's also um, really powerful that we can run our zero trust. Products at extremely, extremely high margins for actually the same um, reasons as um, as the DDoS mitigation products. If you take all of the uh, other zero trust vendors that are out there and add up all their traffic, we could add them all to Cloudflare's network uh, without significantly increasing uh, our underlying um, uh, you know cogs uh, of delivering that traffic. And so that's that gives us an advantage. Uh, over time and, and we do believe that whoever has the lowest cost of servicing uh, tends to win over the long term and uh, and and that that is something that is very difficult for any of our competitors in that space to match. Got it makes that super helpful. thanks a
5: lot.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Alex Henderson from Needham and Company. Please go ahead. great uh, thank
4: you so much. Um, Matt uh, you, you guys continue to amaze me. Uh, in the ability to anticipate things five, six, seven years before they happen. Uh, I think about the micro-threatening of uh, microservices in your, uh, your serverless platform, as an example, and now you're talking about uh, having left slots open for inference AI six years ahead of schedule. Um, it, it's it's pretty amazing uh, prescience. But I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the uniqueness of the platform as we move into the world driven by inference AI. Uh, It's pretty clear to me that the combination of the workers' platform combined with the location of your edge, uh, combined with uh, all of the other elements of the service platform at the edge gives you a unique positioning, particularly with the R2 and the vectors stuff that you've announced. So is there anybody else that that has uh, in our reasonable positioning to compete with you in that context or are you uh, as unique as you look to me uh, in this uh, competitive landscape
2: uh, uh, thanks for the thanks for the kudos um, and, and I you know I think we we sometimes are we sometimes are a little bit early and sometimes um it, and and for people who are paying you know close attention almost three years ago we 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 actually did a announcement with nvidia um that that was a trial balloon kind of in the space to see how much demand there was and at the time um there wasn't a ton of demand um but but we could see how uh, models were improving inference was improving. We we knew that this was something which was coming, uh, and so um, we learned from that. That first thing, I think we built a really strong relationship with the Nvidia team, uh, in part because of that, and, and some of the work that we've done uh, with them in, in the networking space. Um, but but I I think that that you know we 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 try to learn and stay and and buy ourselves the flexibility over time. Uh, to be able to um, to be able to deliver in the space i don 't know of anybody else that has an architecture like ours where we made the hard decision early on to say every machine everywhere can run every task so that we don't have dedicated scrubbing centers so that we don't have you know dedicated regions for you know one service or another uh, that has required us to Invent a lot of technology and um, and and build a lot of intellectual property around that that technology and and just just a lot of know-how in in running a network like that. It is harder up front to build it that way, but it it results in a much higher level of efficiency, a much higher level of a much faster pace of innovation, uh, and, and we're able to capitalize on that uh, today. And so I, I think it. it it would require a complete rearchitecture uh, from from any of the providers that that we know in order to be able to do what we've done uh, in in this space. And and I think it's again part of the secret to our continued pace of innovation. And uh, and again, really proud of our team and, and everything that they've done uh, to be able to deliver it.
4: Well, one last question and, uh, along the same lines, if I could. The uh, inference AI market. How much of it uh, do you expect to be at the edge, and how much uh, uh, do you expect within imprints uh, that might be in more centralized uh, or, or regionalized uh, locations? Thanks.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, my my thesis around this is that probably the most inference tasks will be run directly on your device. So on your on your Apple device, on your Samsung device on your LG device um, what, whatever that that is, but ideally you're going to want to have uh, it so that you can seamlessly hand off whether you're using a low power device that um, that that needs to optimize for battery life or needs to optimize for the lowest build of materials, or you're trying to run a task which is so big and powerful that you're going to have to hand that off to a device uh, nearby. And so you want the rails between those things to be as seamless and efficient as possible. And from a user's experience, um, you're going to want that to to be be transparent uh, to them. And so I think, you know, the most powerful devices out there um, are are going to get more and more powerful with the models that are running on them, Um, but less powerful devices, devices that Uh, um, again, have to have, you know, weeks of battery life but still need to be smart, Um, or the most interesting models that are bigger and can do more interesting things, I think it's going to naturally make sense for that inference to be actually running as close as possible to the end user. I don't see a ton of reasons why you would run inference back in some centralized location. I think that that is going to have a performance penalty in doing that. I think it's going to have a, a regulatory uh, penalty in doing that. I think it's going to also have uh, actually a cost disadvantage uh, in sending it back to a central location. And so, as we build this out and we give people the tools to be able to run those sophisticated models at the edge, I think it's a, a two-horse race that it's going to be the, the phone and M device manufacturers that are that are going to get better and better and better over time. And then it's going to be connectivity clouds like a CloudFlare that are going to deliver uh, on on those models that can't run on the end device itself.
0: Super. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Murphy from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
4: Thank you. Matthew, you have so many products that can help companies reduce the egress fees and all the other charges that are running up uh, in their hyperscaler bills. And I was um, um, thinking of Super Slurper and Sippy and Hyperdrive and some of the other products. Could you comment on the demand patterns there and uh, just whether you're benefiting from some of those optimization uh, efforts out there? Then I have a quick follow-up.
2: Yeah, I think that that's – I mean, everyone today is looking at their cloud bill and saying, how can, we, how can we make this go down? How can we get more with that every IT dollar uh, that is being spent? And as companies do that, they are realizing that one, um, the best way to uh, you know not get just completely gouged by whoever your cloud provider is, is not be completely dependent on them and have the ability to uh, negotiate and move data and workloads from one provider to another. And so enabling that multi-cloud universe is just fundamental to how we think about uh, what we're doing. And then second, um, to finding those places where, um, you know, you might be a lot more locked in today and finding ways to release that, that lock-in. And I think that's fundamentally what we're doing at Cloudflare, um, as I talked about, uh, in the beginning, you know, the, the hyperscale public clouds, the key KPI that they pay attention to is how much of a customer's data are, are they hoarding on their systems? Do they hold captive? Whereas, the Cloudflare, what we pay the most attention to is how much connectivity uh, can we deliver? How many things can we make it easy to move that data between? And I think that fundamental difference It's not so much that we're trying to compete directly with the clouds, but over time what we really want to do is enable customers to be able to get the best out of AWS and Google and Microsoft and Oracle and IBM and Alibaba and Tencent and be that fabric that connects them all together. And I think more and more customers are seeing the power of that. They're multi-cloud whether they want to be or not, and we're the consistent control plane that can sit between all of those things help them reduce their costs, help them reduce the lock-in, and really have a much more competitive cloud ecosystem over time.
4: Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And just as a follow-up, is there any rough math on the number of GPUs you're loading into into suitcases to, to install in the next 12 months? And the, should we assume that those are or that those can be uh, some of the lower-end GPUs for inferencing and they're, they're, they're not the uh, ultra-expensive high-end ones?
2: You know, I think that what we hear from customers is uh, that they don't want to have to think about, you know, what GPU is, is the right GPU uh, for them. And so we will have a mix of GPUs. Today we're standardized around NVIDIA. Um, but we're, we're good friends with the folks at AMD and Intel and Qualcomm, uh, who are all doing interesting things and different models from what we've seen perform differently on different types of, of GPUs that are out there. And so I think you'll find every flavor under the sun, uh, of from, from expensive to, to cheap, uh, delivered across, across the network. But what we're really trying to optimize for is looking at the models that are being run. And then giving people the right tools that they need in a way that can give them the, the best performance um, on not just a, a speed basis, but also on a cost and efficiency basis. And that's going to be uh, diversity across, across that, that ecosystem. And, and, uh, and, and we, we, we are good at being able to scale up our capacity as we have demand and investing behind the demand. And, uh, and and I think that this is going to be another area where we demonstrate that. Thank you very much.
0: Our final question comes from the line of Trevor Walsh from JMP Securities. Please go ahead.
2: Great. Thanks all for squeezing me in here at the end. Uh, Matthew, just wanted to piggyback maybe off some of your last comments there on that final question and just the ones you had um, in, your, in your prepared remarks around um, the category classification of the connectivity cloud. Uh, it, it, that makes total sense to me in terms of the strategic more CIO lens as far as um, kind of the benefits of being kind of that connective tissue and kind of you know, savings around R2 and kind of all the things. But as you go and talk to CISOs and especially within the context of your Act 2 um, uh, product products that you have, Zero Trust and otherwise – does that messaging kind of need to change a little bit or do you think they, they view it in the same way? Because I think they're kind of, you know, obviously the audiences and the kind of the overall value prop might, I mean, be similar but, but different in some respects. And so just maybe help us understand how might that CISO respond or, or are, in fact, responding to that same uh, connectivity cloud messaging. Thanks. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've been strong with CISOs for some some time. And they know us and they know the value that um, that we can deliver. I think what we're trying to make sure is that we have can have a strategic conversation with the CIOs and any and the CFOs uh, that are out there, and say, here's how we can deliver value, help you consolidate vendors, uh, and give you one consistent control plane um, wow. that is that that has a you know incredible ROI um, to it. So I think we're. I think we're, we don't want to rest on our laurels. We've, we've been very, very strong with practitioners. We've been very strong in the security com- in the security community, but we want to make sure that we can have that strategic conversation. You know, we had, uh, you know, a, a, a record number of, of, um, you know, uh, customers that, uh, you know, were signed up at over a million dollars a year with us. We had a record number that, that crossed into the five million dollars a year with us this last quarter. And, and those are, those are conversations that have to be had. You know, the, the CFO, even, even in, you know, even in large companies, the CFO is going to be involved in, you know, signing $5 million deals. And, um, and so I think that the messaging is the right time and it reflects that we're talking to higher and higher levels within the organization and we are being seen much more as a strategic partner, uh, within, within those, those companies. That's great. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. I will now turn the call over to Matthew Prince for closing remarks.
2: I appreciate everyone uh, at Cloudflare, all of our customers, partners, in helping us navigate what is an increasingly complicated world. Our thoughts are with all of the people around the world that are being affected by war. We're continuing to deliver our services and stand up for the internet and even in these incredibly complicated times the work that Cloudflare does is important in making sure the internet can continue to thrive. Thank you all. We'll see you back here next quarter.
0: This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation and you may now disconnect.